Chapter Ten of the Lonely Warrior by Claude C. Washburn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Stacy glanced up and down the street, but it lay quiet and empty in the brightness of its regularly spaced arc lights. The noise came from the direction of the center of town, and as this was also the direction of his hotel, he sighed and set off toward it. He sighed because he felt himself stepping back into the old shadow from the rare brightness of his recent mood. It occurred to him that life was like that, someone had said, a handful of peaceful islands scattered stingily over a tumultuous sea, which figure reveals how little he knew himself, what he was and what he wanted, for at heart he did not crave repose. He turned a corner, the rumble of sound became a roar and he was on the edge of the crowd. Some distance down the street into which he had emerged, on the left at its intersection by another wider thoroughfare, he could make out a corner of the white marble courthouse that had left him unimpressed. And one side of this building, the east it must be, stretched along flush with the street that Stacy followed. But all about and obscuring such part of the structure as lay within his vision, there was now a black howling throng, while over all smoke hung and even here where stacy stood the crowd was dense traffic had ceased motor-cars stood motionless men had scrambled up the sides of them and clung there all staring in one direction and from the windows of the houses flanking the street more people leaned and gazed here the crowd was not yet a mass groups only but as Stacy went forward toward the courthouse, which was perhaps an eighth of a mile away, it thickened, so that to traverse it it became increasingly difficult. And as it thickened, its temper grew manifestly warmer. A confusion of cries agitated it. Sometimes they burst into a refrain. "'Nigger! Nigger! We want that nigger!' Arms were thrown up, gesticulating wildly, and there were little centres of local interest a man suddenly hauling himself up to the shoulders of another for a view and thrown down again fiercely snarling contests over invaded personal rights animal-like squeals of women at the crushing pressure upon them the sweating faces had a bestial look beneath the arc lights and a sourish human odor tainted the warm air noise noise stacy was not feeling anger only a deep disgust disgust of crowds sick disgust of all humanity his emotion was the more acute for its contrast with the mood he had felt in burnham's house he was like a man who had made a longer jump by taking a running start so this was the kind of thing on which perpetual peace and leagues of nations were to be founded was it he thought coldly he would have gone back out of its contamination, having certainly no desire to witness the spectacle it clamoured for, save that he had some desperate idea of perhaps being able to assist the few who must somewhere be standing off the multitude. So he fought his way forward, inch by inch, helped perhaps a very little by the fact that he was in uniform, using his shoulders and elbows mercilessly in cold contempt of his victims, shrieked at, cursed at, struck at even, but making progress, until at last he came, panting, to the corner of his own street and that other wider avenue. He could get no farther, either ahead or to the left. The crowd was a solid wall, and to return was equally impossible. 
He could only stay where he was and hope that something might happen, some movement in the mob that would make it possible for him to push through suddenly and reach the courthouse. He stood on tiptoe and looked about him. He was almost at the corner, close to the right-hand edge of the street, and he perceived that here the latter was flanked by the side wall of what he took to be a theatre. In the wall, some two or three feet above the ground, were embrasures, vantage points held with difficulty by tightly wedged groups. As Stacy looked, a sudden backward surge of the crowd swept down and away two such members of one group, and Stacy, diving desperately in, himself struggled up to the place and held it against all contestants. All events were submerged beneath a roar of voices, a sea of noise that broke in echoing waves against the sides of the buildings. It was an emotion in itself, irrespective of its cause. It hypnotized the crowd, produced a singular wild stare in men's eyes, made their movements jerky, their own involuntary addition to the noise raucous. It did not hypnotize Stacy, because he was aloof, remote, and also because he was too familiar with noise. Yet he, too, had undergone its terrible spell, early in the war, before he had grown hard enough to bear the unbearable. He knew bitterly well what Siegfried Sassoon meant by, I'm going stark staring mad because of the guns. Stacy threw one last contemptuous glance at the mob beneath him, then gazed off over their heads at the courthouse. The first thing he noted was that it was on fire, smoke creeping dully from its ground-floor windows. The second, that fighting was going on inside it, since the south door, that opening on the wide cross street, was shattered, while through it rushed in or were driven back mad struggling clusters of men. Good for the police, thought Stacy. Oh, by God, I wish I were there. Two firemen appeared at a third-floor window, and from the nozzle of the hose they held, a stream shot down upon the crowd. There was a wild surging movement that swept to the crowd even here, pushing it back upon itself tumultuously. Snarls of anger rose. There were struggles, shrieks, fists striking out, mad efforts of individuals to keep from being crushed. And up ahead on the left the lighted air was shadowed by the bricks and stones hurled through it against the courthouse. The courthouse windows shattered in fragments. Stacy could not hear them crash. The noise of voices submerged all other sounds, as it was submerging thought. But he could see the jagged black gaps appear and the shining rain of glass. He held his place in the embrasure with difficulty, clinging to an iron ring in the wall and to his nearest companion. Then, suddenly, a vast exultant roar shook the crowd. The stream of water had ceased. Cut it! We've cut their damned hose! Cut it! Cut it! The crowd was wilder now, frenzied. Stacy, looking down, saw faces convulsed, venomous, filthy with ugliness. He felt a shudder of loathing and recollected with passionate assent what Anatole France had called life. A sickness, a leprosy, a mold on the face of the earth. Nigger! Give us that nigger! Time passed. Stacy, knowing mobs, thought that perhaps, eventually, this one would wear itself out on its own emotion, begin to break up into individuals sick with fatigue, and little by little disperse. But he soon perceived that it had too varied a spectacle to witness, an immense vicious vaudeville, 
something new every few minutes a ladder thrown against the courthouse wall half scaled by eight or ten youths pushed slowly back by the defenders and crashing over at last to earth the scalers leaping off wildly as it fell a rush through the door fighting shots even so the mob had sullen moments when its roar sank to a rumble but again it occurred to stacy that it was being lashed up afresh by leaders there was a young man on a white horse there in the street before the besieged building twice he wheeled his horse about and harangued the crowd his voice was inaudible here but the emotion he created immediately around him swept on like something tangible beyond the reach of his words and his gestures stirred men to renewed frenzy also it struck stacy that while here at the corner the crowd was jammed beyond hope of penetration there on the left just before the south side of the courthouse where the fighting was sharpest was room to move there were rushes assaults the fighting part of the mob was relatively small oh they all wanted the negro damn them they wanted blood and torture but as spectators if only he could get there and at this thought that there were deliberate leaders anger began to rise in stacy who till now had felt only disgust and scorn but a sudden whirling streamer of red light curved into a broken window of the courthouse and a dull explosion made the air throb a red glare flamed up inside the building and a great ah came from the crowd by god look at it a bomb oh christ a bomb oh look at her burn nigger we'll get him now oh nigger aye shouts leaps struggles madness the crowd could afford to wait now thought stacy looking on grimly as black smoke poured from windows and rose in clouds begriming the marble walls it was late how long had he been here in this filth two hours three stacy looked at his watch ten thirty he gazed back wearily down the street in a sullen despair beneath which anger smouldered an outrage to be born into such a world and he could not take refuge in himself he hated himself as he hated the mob oh he did not of course feel with them now what was a black man's life or a white man's any man's his own philip blair's even to deserve such clamour he was hard crusted over with bitterness but there had been times in france when a sudden frenzied shriek from the mob made him start and turn his eyes back to the courthouse on the steps at its entrance that opening on the street which stacy had followed alone in the lurid smoky light stood a man rather stout not tall but impressive in his solitude the mayor it's the mayor smith mayor came in a shattered volley of cries from about then in one fierce burst of sound nigger give us that nigger 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 and after this dwindling sound save from the storm centre at the south entrance where the news could not be known finally a semblance of silence stacy could not hear the man's voice when he spoke i can't do that boys he learned later the words had been but he could see him shake his head and could see the firm negative gesture he made with both extended hands an immense insane howl of anger burst out 
a crowd surged up the east steps, and the solitary figure disappeared among them, dragged down in a chaotic black mass of assailants. A thrill of exultation and anger ran through Stacy. By God, he'd stood them off, one living man with a soul of his own against the mob, and he was to be dragged down like that, killed for it? Beside himself, Stacy leaped to the ground and fought madly to break through to the one man on the scene. Impossible! Far from pushing forward, he was caught in a sudden retreating surge of the throng and swept back, back, raging, down the street, to the edge of a narrow roofed-in alley that led out of it behind the theatre building. Here he held his own once more. Mad cries of wrath against the mayor came from all about him. Nigger lover! Get the nigger lover! Lynch him! Close to Stacy, a heavy red-faced man was shaking his clenched fists high in the air. Oh, lynch him! The goddamn son of a bitch! Oh, nigger lover! Oh, kill him! Lynch him! He shrieked, his voice hoarse, his face purple, convulsed, incredibly bestial. And suddenly a white, ungovernable rage flared up in Stacy. There was nothing left of his personality but rage. He seized the man about the waist, and, helped by a new surge of the crowd, half flung him, half was swept with him, back into the narrow dark entrance of the alley, and down it. The momentum gathered from the crowd hurled both forward, staggering, and separated them. But Stacy was upon his man again instantly. They were perhaps thirty yards down the alley in a semi-obscurity. Here, you, what do you? Stacy merely dived in hot silence for the man's throat and fastened his hands upon it tensely. The victim struck out wildly, gasped, kicked, but Stacy bent him back and leaned over, sinking his thumbs deeper and deeper with every ounce of his great strength into the fleshy throat. And as he pressed, he had the delirious, exultant delusion that he was strangling all humanity. His teeth were set, his eyes were terrible with hatred. The man's face grew violet, his eyes protruded loathsomely, his gurgling mouth opened to press out a swollen tongue. Then all at once he relaxed weakly, his whole body limp. Stacy flung him off, and he fell in a sprawled, motionless heap to the ground. Stacy looked down for a moment and pushed the body with the toe of his shoe, then turned away, wiping his hands on his handkerchief. He was quite calm again, fierce, but with no further impulse to kill. He did not go back and fight his way into the crowd once more. Where was the use? He could not break through. Instead, he followed the alley in, leaving the roar of the crowd behind him, and came out eventually into another street, parallel with the one he had left. It, too, was crowded, but not densely like the first. Stacy made his way off from it swiftly, and before long reached still another street, empty, silent. But from back over there behind the intervening house walls came yet wilder noise and crackling volleys of shots. They had got the negro, Stacy supposed. He strode on for a long, long time, half an hour, an hour, heedless of direction, turning corners aimlessly, until at last he was walking up a street down which, toward him, people were flowing in groups, talking loudly. The show was over, no doubt, the audience dispersing. He heard excited comments. 
The nigger got his all right. Damn shame about the mayor. Oh, I dunno. Too damn fresh. Stacy whirled about and caught the man who said it was a shame. Did they kill the mayor? he demanded. The man addressed stared, open-mouthed, with frightened eyes at Stacy's stern voice. No, he stammered. They hung him up tw twice, but he was, was cut down. He's all right, I guess. Th they got him away. I said it was a damn shame, he added weakly, trying to release himself from Stacy's grasp. Stacy did not reply, but withdrew his hand and strode on, his teeth set. Again he walked aimlessly for a long while, but at last, making a wide curve, he turned back toward the noise that still came in broken waves from the riot center. Finally, led by the glow of the fire, he approached the courthouse once more, but now from the north. On this side it was not flush with the street, but set in some fifty yards behind an ornamental grass plot. Street, grass plot, and curving walks were covered with a howling throng, not so thick as to prevent passage, but rushing wildly, this way and that, under the red light from the burning building. The centre of the confusion, Stacy presently made out, to be a motor-car, careering about through the crowd, that shouted exultantly and stumbled back out of its path. All at once it bore down on Stacy. He sprang aside to avoid it, then, looking back, saw that after it, at the end of a rope, trailed a shapeless, bumping object. The rope that towed this curious object, caught for a moment on an electric light pole, the car came to a temporary halt, and Stacy, bending over to look at the thing more closely, perceived that it was the charred, naked, and limbless torso of a man. Three hysterical girls, their hats awry, their arms linked, pushed him out of the way, and kicked, squealing at the dead flesh. Stacy left the scene. He found a small lunchroom open in a neighboring street. It was crowded with genial, exulting ex-rioters, but Stacy pressed up to the counter, ordered sandwiches and coffee, and gulped them down ravenously. He was frankly famished. This did not shock him. He was too familiar with the physical effects of emotion even to give it a thought. And, indeed, so far as emotion went, he had, despite his almost impassive bearing, gone through more of it than the mob itself. For the mob had hated the negro and the mayor. Stacy had been consumed with hatred of the colossal mob itself, and of all men, all human life. He left the lunchroom and went to his hotel. As he reached its doorway, there was an echoing tramp of steady feet, and he turned to see a company of infantry march past. He saluted, and the officer marching beside the men saluted in return, gravely. "'It's time,' thought Stacy bitterly. "'If I'd had two men and a machine-gun, I could have cleared the street.' He thought he was done with all sympathy for armies. Error! He would have given his right hand to-night to be in command of his battalion. Not because he cared for law and order. He didn't give that for law and order. But because he could have saved the mayor, one brave man, a living individual, from the collective beast. And because he could have saved the negro. But mostly because he could have killed. Killed! He entered the hotel. Here, too, though the hour was late, were excited groups. 
Stacy pushed through them and up to the desk. The key to 412, he demanded peremptorily. But the clerk, his elbows on the desk, was listening to the voluble conversation of a group of commercial travellers and paid no attention. Stacy seized a paperweight, lifted it, and flung it down with a crash. Damn you! The key to 412, I said, and be quick about it. The clerk jumped. Yes, sir, he stammered, and reached a trembling hand for the key. Probably at a normal moment he would have asserted his right to respect as a free American citizen. Tonight things were rather strange. End of chapter 10